as we sing these different songs as part of our uh, worship service, I try to focus on a, a line or a phrase. You know, we just finished singing, so sing for joy, afflicted one. You know, how do you sing for joy when life is really, really hard? That's one of the things Hebrews helps us with. So our worship continues. If you're not open already, open up, please, to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to welcome those that are live streaming. I know that we have a number of people that are shut-ins, are not really able to get out, and they join us through live stream, and we're grateful for that. At times, people get ill or they're traveling, and they join us by way of live stream. and appreciate that as well. Every now and then, I'm encouraged with an uh, email, and I'll get one as I received even this week. Uh, hey, Greg. Uh, just came across you, couple, your ministry at Trinity, uh, a couple of months, even a little bit more than that, and uh, listening to the series in Hebrews, and it is such an encouragement to me here in Northern Ireland. I just wanted to thank you for your ministry. And so we're grateful that the uh, internet through that, um, many opportunities for us to be listening to God's word preached, and I'm thankful for the guys in the back that are uh, serving in that way, helping people uh, in, in different places. Our text for the message today, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible's actually divided into paragraphs, and some of our translations, at least the New American Standard, is fairly clear where those paragraphs are. Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 12 through 13, is a paragraph. You say, what does it say? I'll read it now. Hebrews 12, 12 through 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Some people think that paragraph goes with what comes before. Some people think it follows, it links it to what comes later. One thing I know is if we just read those two lines, we all would be thinking, what in the world does that mean? Well, let me see if I can help set that up. What we're going to do today is we're actually going to review all of verse 1 through 11 of chapter 12, to make sure that we understand what's going on, and then we'll come to verses 12 and 13, Lord willing. It's only two verses. We'll make fairly good progress through that, I trust, and then we'll be able to keep it in context in a way that I hope will encourage all of us. Let me start off with a question. I'd like to begin with the question, do you have a favorite? Like, do you have a favorite? You know, something that you have experienced, the place you've been, something you've tasted, and you like it. And if I asked you what was your favorite, fill in the blank, you wouldn't even have to think about it, right? You say, give me some examples, Greg. If you said to me, do you have a favorite coffee? If you go to a coffee shop in the morning, what do you got? Just whatever's dark, black, I'm good, okay? Would you like it? No, Nothing in it. Don't ruin my coffee, right? Just, I want to drink it the way God made it, amen? And that's just what I like, unless it's afternoons. And my girls know this every now and then. If one of the girls stops at a coffee shop, picks up something for me, it'll be a skinny vanilla latte. That's just like my afternoon drink. Unless it's really hot out, then I'll go with the coffee-based, sugar-free vanilla frappuccino, because it's kind of like cold, you know? And, and I'll enjoy that on a hot day. You say, you probably have favorite foods. Yeah, I, once a week I'm at a Mexican restaurant, and I never open up the menu. Even this week, I was meeting a brother at a Mexican restaurant, and the waitress said, uh, sir, would you like your usual uh, fajita lunch special, chicken, flour, tortillas, no sour cream or guac? I said, yes, ma'am, thank you. And it was just good, because she knows what I get, because uh, I get the same thing every time. It's my favorite. That's lunch, but not dinner. Because if I'm out at dinner, I'm normally with Nancy in the evening, and then she's already looking for me. I don't have to look at that. She's like, okay, Greg, they have grilled chicken salad and grilled salmon salad. Which one? Okay? Because that's just what I'm going to do for evening. I have favorites. You say, well, what's your, like, get out of food? I'm in the Greenville area. I'm here for just an hour or two. What should I do? You'd go downtown. Go by Falls Park. You say, I want to do something kind of exciting that I can't do anyplace else. You go to Mount Mitchell. You know, somebody even asked me just this past week. I already know. He said, but I'm assuming this is still true. Your favorite day ride is still Mount Mitchell. I said, yeah. I mean, jump up to the Blue Ridge Parkway, go a little bit east of Asheville. Beautiful vistas, beautiful views. 
hit Mount Mitchell State Park. It's just two hours away. Go to the top of the mountain. It's paved. You can walk, no steps, beautiful. And I love going up there. It's probably my favorite date place to go. Once a year, Nance and I usually head up there. Just a wonderful place to be. You say, okay, let's transition to the Bible. Greg, when you're talking to Christians that are really going through a hard time, what's your favorite verse? Traditionally, I have four of them. There's four places I typically go to try to encourage people that are really struggling. And I don't really have to think about it because I already know where they're at in my brain. And I've always gone to those four until now. Now I have five. Because Hebrews has joined the list of my favorite verses to encourage people that are Christians and that are struggling. And the more I'm in Hebrews, which is what this letter is all about, it's written to Christians, but life is hard. They're being persecuted for their faith. They're facing difficulties, and it's easy to ask, where is God? I mean, like, if He loves me and everything, what's going on? And I am becoming more and more aware that this may be one of, if not the greatest struggle that Christians face. If I really am a believer and God is my Father, why is life so hard? You say, Greg, when's the last time you've talked to somebody about this? How about, I don't know, 12 hours? You know, Nancy gets a text last night. It's from somebody here. I won't say anything embarrassing. Hey, my husband would like to talk to Greg. Does he have a little bit of time? You know, I'm like, honey, yeah. And so the next thing I'm on the phone with the brother, and he's going through a really difficult time, but he said to me, I just wanted to talk to you because my life has been really hard, and here's kind of what I'm going through. And it is. He's going through tough stuff. And I have not been responding well. And then the last two messages in Hebrews have blessed me so much because it's been teaching me I need to counsel myself better. I need to meditate on Hebrews 12 when life is hard. He said, Greg, I don't know if anybody else at Trinity is listening, but I'm listening. And I said, well, there's one. So we got one guy at Trinity, we got one guy in Ireland. That's all I know, okay? At least two people are listening. This text of Hebrews 12 has been encouraging me so much, and I want to encourage you with it. Now, some of you are thinking, Greg, what are the four texts you like? I'll try to remember to revisit at the end. Here's what I called the message today, counsel for suffering believers. This is going to be just an overview of these first 11 verses, tying it all together And my heart is to encourage you. Let me remind us how this book ends, Hebrews, even though that we're not there yet. Chapter 13, verse 22. I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation. The word exhortation means encouragement. This whole letter is supposed to encourage believers, and they're thinking, I don't know if I want to continue to follow Jesus, because it's really, really hard. This chapter is written to encourage believers. Chapter 12, verse 5, the author writes, you have forgotten the exhortation. And again, both times that word exhortation can be translated encouragement. So I'm going to preach a message a little bit differently. It's going to be a review. There's going to be five points, and they're each actually going to begin with the question. And the question relates to why believers suffer. And how do you counsel them? And it's all within the picture of a race. Remember, the context is using the picture of a race as an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, I'm ready? Here we go. First question, number one. When I'm suffering and life kind of stinks and I'm tempted to really, really get down and I'm wondering, God, where are you? What do I do? And the answer in Hebrews is very clear. You keep running your race. Look, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 1. And then this is printed inside your bulletin in the lower left-hand corner, if, if that helps. The writer of Hebrews says what? Here we are in chapter 12, verse 1. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. 
let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God has set before you, I'm talking to believers, a race. When did your race begin? The moment you became a Christian. I'm going to have lots of pictures today. More than I've ever had before. Because this is all about a picture of running a race to encourage us to understand what it means to follow Jesus even when life gets hard. The moment you became a believer, you don't have to remember one, but the moment you became a believer, you entered a race. And for those of you that have been in races, they always give you a bib, and you have a number on your bib, and there'll be a chip in there, right, just so your time could be accurate. And there's always baby pins, I call them, with the bib. And so you have your whatever, your, your, your wicking shirt on, and you put the bib on, and that's your number. If you're a Christian, you're in the race. You say, Greg, I've never run a race in my life. You're running one right now. A physical race is a picture of the spiritual race that we're all in. So when life gets hard, what do you do? Keep running the race with endurance. Don't grow weary and lose heart. Now, where am I getting endurance from? we got three verses. Here we are, verse 1, 2, 3. Every one of them has the word endurance in it. Verse 1, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice verse 2. talks about Jesus who endured the cross. Verse 3, consider him who has endured. It's hard to keep running. Notice the end of verse 3. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. And people say to me regularly, and I'm glad when people are honest and upfront and transparent. Greg, I don't even know what to do. May I please tell you what's going on in my life? And they tell me very sad things. And people say, so what do I do? This is always God's answer. Keep running your race. And you don't grow weary and lose heart. That's what Hebrews is all about. Look at the very beginning of verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, who are those witnesses? All of the people back in chapter 11. So all of 11 is supposed to be encouraging me to know I'm not running this race alone. All those Old Testament people, they were running the race too. You say, what do those Old Testament saints look like? Just like this. Those are Old Testament saints. And they're running the race. And you think about all of them. And they hurt. And they had problems and difficulties. But they continued to believe in God. That's what chapter 11 is all about. So therefore, verse 1, chapter 12, in light of all of these people around us, what do we do? Keep running the race. That is always God's answer. So again, whatever you're struggling with today, now real quick, some of you aren't struggling with anything, and again, this is the kind of message you stick it in your back pocket, or maybe you want to text it to somebody who is struggling. But if you're, you're facing a difficult time, you say, I don't even know what God wants me to do. I would say, well, yeah, you do. Just read Hebrews. Run your race. Run it with endurance, and don't grow weary and lose heart. Now here's what a lot of people say, and this is a fair, fair point. Greg, you're telling me what to do, and preachers, that's like what they kind of do, but they're not so good at telling me how. So how do I keep running my race? It's a very fair question. Let's make it question two. How do I keep running my race? I mean, I'm a Christian, and my life is hard. So what do I do? Okay, here's what Hebrews encourages us to do. Set aside what slows you down. I'm back in verse 1. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Whatever slows you down, just set it aside. You say, what is the key thing that slows us down? The sin which so easily entangles us. What is that? That's the sin of unbelief. Hebrews is all about belief. 
When life is hard, don't stop believing. When life gets hard, you got to keep believing. you got to keep running your race. And a lot of people will say, I, I thought that was setting aside the specific besetting sin that I have. You know, again, you can read that into there. That's okay. I, I'm not going to protest that. But even that's a lack of belief. I mean, you name the sin that people struggle with. Then we all struggle with some sins more than others. A very common one today would be pornography. And people really, really struggle with it. You say, so shouldn't I be setting aside the sin of viewing pornography? Well, that's a good thing to set aside, but isn't that really unbelief? God says the way of the transgressor is hard. God says if you walk down that path, that your life will not go well. But if you will follow Jesus and be filled with the Spirit, you will actually experience love, joy, and peace, Galatians 5. Right back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor watch pornography on his phone, but his delight... That's Psalm 1. And so really it's an issue of belief, because if I believe God, then when I get teasers on my phone, I say, no, Lord, I don't believe it. Looking at those pictures could never bring me more joy than walking with you. Because that's what the Bible teaches. So set aside what slows you down. That includes the sin of unbelief. And then secondly, stay focused on Jesus. That's verse 2 and verse 3. Notice how verse 2 begins, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Do you remember what that means? That means looking away from and toward that means I look away from all of you. I look away, look away, look away, look away, and I look at Jesus. So stay focused on Jesus and go down to verse 3 and consider him. That's that accounting word that means think deeply about. So if you want to ask, Greg, when my life is hard, I'm supposed to keep running, you got to stay focused on Jesus. You say, okay, so show me a picture of somebody running the race and staying focused on Jesus. Right there, if you could see it. Now, the picture might be too small. You say, what is she doing? She's thinking about Jesus. You say, how do you know that jogger's thinking about Jesus? I don't know if you can see it. It might be too far. Can you tell she has earbuds in? She's listening to a sermon. You say, how do you know that? Because I do, okay? Have you guys noticed, when you see runners running, look at their ears. Almost every runner has earbuds in. Why? Because if you did it, what would you do? You would be thinking, oh, this hurts. This hurts. I'm tired. This stinks. I don't want to run this race. Why would I run? I'd rather be sitting home eating Fritos and Cheetos and Doritos, right? And Tostitos. I mean, and watching TV. And you say, no, 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 no. So some of them are listening to whatever. Now remember, this is not a message to get you to jog. It's all a picture of following Jesus. So what should be happening when we're running our race, we have our earbuds in, all the runners do. And we're listening to God's Word. We're listening to God's Word being preached. It's an illustration. How do you make it through life when your life is falling apart? You have to be in the Word. You have to be reading God's Word. Some of you say, I like to listen to it. Great. you got to listen to God's Word. You have to listen to God's Word being preached. All of it. Coming to church and paying attention. Why? To help you. So number one is, what do I do when life is really, really hard? You keep running your race. How do I do it? You have to set aside anything that slows you down, specifically unbelief, and stay focused on Jesus. So again, if you say to me, Greg, I've read through my Bible like 40 times already. Are you still going to encourage me to read through my Bible again? Absolutely. You don't have to do it every year. But how else are you going to stay focused on Jesus unless you have the earbuds in and you're reminded again and again and again of Jesus? So number one, what do I do? You need to keep running. Number two, how do I keep running? You have to set aside what slows you down, stay focused on Jesus. Question three. So let's get down to brass tacks. Why is my life so hard? I mean, for some here, you have physical things going on. 
For some, you have relational things. Your family's just ripping your heart out. And for some of you, it's your parents. And for some of you, it's your kids. And for some, it's your spouse. And for some, it's financial challenges. And for some, it's vocational. And these are all things we struggle with. And I know I've mentioned this before, but someone mentioned this to me just recently. If I have children, I would never let them experience what God is having me experience right now. Greg, tell me why. And this passage answers that question. Because your loving Heavenly Father is disciplining you. Look at verse 6 and verse 7. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. What son is there whom His Father does not discipline? It's discipline. Every Every difficult challenge in your life is discipline. So rather than talking about you, I've tried to use me as an illustration, right? I've used it twice. This is part three of illustration, just to repeat. I'm trying to get to my dad's funeral, and flights cancel, and I'm delayed a day. I still made it, praise God, but I'm delayed a day. So someone came up to me last week, and they said, Greg, i got to tell you something. I was... And I don't know who these people are, so if it's you, no worries. A guy came up to me and said, Greg, I was in the hallway listening to two people talk. I probably shouldn't have been listening, but I was. And one of them said, I don't get it. Greg wanted to get to his dad's funeral, and the plane was canceled, and I still don't understand why God would do that. And the second person said, weren't you listening? It's discipline. And the first person said, so you're saying God was disciplining Greg. And and the other person said, yes, that was like the whole point of the message. Everything in my life that hurts is discipline. Everything. God is disciplining me in every situation from cancer and it's bad to then I'll try to just pick up something that's inconvenient, like a flat tire. It's all a loving Heavenly Father. All of it. That's what Hebrews is teaching us here. So how do we respond? Don't underreact and don't overreact. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says what? Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Let's call that underreacting. And do not faint when you're reproved by him. Let's call that overreacting. This is underreacting. Oh, you get a flat tire, it's just the way life goes. Don't think about it, don't worry about it. Flights cancel, that's just the way life goes. Sometimes winds blow hard, they cancel flights. Don't think about it, don't worry about it. Well, I agree, don't worry about it. But notice what the text here says, guys, in verse 5. Do not regard lightly. Don't blow it off. Every single difficulty God wants me to learn something from, but careful. Notice the second half. Don't faint. Don't get depressed. Don't get discouraged. Right? When the coach says, run another lap, don't say, I'm not running another stupid lap, coach. I quit. He's coach. And he knows you need to run another lap, and it's going to help you. So what you do is you get back on the track, and you run another lap. It's good for you. You say, I don't like it. I don't like it either. That's why you got the earbuds in. You're constantly being reminded of who God is and what he's doing, and he's disciplining you. And you say, I don't like discipline. None of us likes discipline. I mean, running is hard enough. What do you do when it snows outside? And you say, well, this stinks. I don't even want to run when it's nice. Now there's snow. What do I do? Don't ignore it. You're going to have to maybe put on a little bit of extra clothing. But don't say, ah, here, God hates me. He doesn't want me to run. No. Running is a good thing. Now remember, the goal of this 
whole chapter is not to get you to start running. It's a picture. This race physically is illustrative of our race spiritually. Okay? So what do I do when life stinks? Keep running your race. Just keep running. Number two, how? Set aside that sin of unbelief and focus on Jesus. And do I have to go through these trials? Absolutely. In football, we always told each other, no pain, no gain. If it doesn't hurt, it doesn't help. It's just part of it. If you want to lose every game and get blown out, good, don't practice. But the bottom line is, if you want to get in shape and you want to survive, then you need to face trials. You say, but Greg, why does it have to hurt so bad? What in the world is God doing? I worded it this way, number four. Why is the Lord disciplining us? Can I remind us of what verse 10 says? It says he disciplines us for our good. Disciplines us for our good. One of our grandchildren has had some eye challenges, and I've been over the kid's house when Nance, or my daughter, is putting eye drops in his eye. And he screams he doesn't want eye drops in his eye. You know, he's a young child at the time, maybe less than a year old. And here we are, and somebody actually grabs his head, and he's screaming because he hates it. And he can't really talk, but if he could, he'd probably say, and I hate you. And here's mom or dad or Nana holding his head completely firm as he screams, putting in a medicinal drop in the eye that needs assistance. You say, you don't love your kids. Yeah, I do. And this is what you do. You do what is good for your children. Every, I'm talking to Christians, trial in your life is designed by God for your good. And if you say, Greg, and what is that good? Just finish the verse. Verse 10. It's all about sharing His holiness. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. You have to understand this, or else life as a Christian is never, ever going to go well. So here's what it looks like for a lot of people. Here's a picture of a guy. He has his athletic clothes on. He was running. He didn't quit. He didn't say, like, I'm out of this race. But he has sat down and he said, I don't know if I want to keep running or not. You say, what are people normally struggling with, Christians? It's I'm facing trials and I don't understand it. And why is God doing this? You say again, when's the last time you heard somebody say that apart from the call last night? It was a couple of hours before the call. Greg, can I talk to you? Of course you can. What's up? I'm trying to encourage someone. What's going on? That person's facing a really big trial, and he is now at the end of his rope saying, I don't even know what to do anymore. I don't even know why I'm here. That's that guy. See, biblical thinking is you're going through an incredibly difficult trial. It's called discipline. God's doing it to make you holy. But if you're not thinking biblically, then what you think is, I'm out of the race. This stinks. This past week, talking to another brother, he's going through a difficult time. And he said something almost in passing. I was talking to him just about friends, and he said, you know, I look back at all of the friends I had in college, and many of them don't even claim to be Christians anymore. And I said, I know. I said, it's very common. And I'm not going to tell you it happens every time, but this is very common. You say, what happens? Life got hard. And life is very, very hard. And they're like, God, where are you? What are you doing? 
And they don't know Hebrews 12, but more importantly, they don't know God well. And they come to the conclusion that all of these trials stink. God obviously doesn't love me, when in reality, Hebrews 12 is helping us to understand, no, the trials are coming from the Lord, and He's disciplining us for our own good. My final question, number five. Does it have to hurt so bad? I mean, Greg, why do I have to suffer? And let me just acknowledge that the text is honest. Yes, discipline hurts. Look at verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. It does hurt. When you're holding your grandson's head and he's screaming and he's yelling and he hates the eye drops, he just doesn't realize that this is for his benefit. And when coach tells you to run another lap, you're thinking he's a bad man. I have been told by some of the parents, I'm using some words that their kids are picking up on and it's not good, that he's not nice, making me run. And, and, and rather than thinking, he's actually having me run for my own benefit. Look at your verse 11. Discipline is not joyful, but yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Can I remind all of us that Jesus suffered? Same book, chapter 5, Hebrews 5, 8. Although he was a son, that's Jesus, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. If you said, I don't think I have anything to learn through suffering. Well, I mean, come on, guys. Would any of us honestly say we're as holy as we should be? That we don't have any reason or room to grow? We all need to grow. And it happens through suffering. I thought a good illustration, the discipline hurts, the discipline leads to fruitfulness. I wanted to remind us of an illustration of the end of verse 11. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And now we have to change metaphors. So I don't know if this is mixing metaphors, but it's here. How do you get a fruit tree to bear fruit well? You have to prune it. I mean, we have peach trees out north of our church area. They, to me, look kind of ugly because they're all kind of squat and they don't have any middles in them. And they prune them that way intentionally so the sun gets in them so they bear a maximum number of healthy peaches. That takes pruning. Can I remind us all what Jesus said, John 15, verse 1 and 2, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch is in me, so every branch in Jesus, he's the vine, that does not bear fruit, he takes away, okay, just get rid of it, every branch that bears fruit, because it has a relationship with him, he prunes it, why? So that it may bear more fruit, it's for the good of the branch, when you take the pruners out. And you prune the branch. And if the tree, or in this case the grapevine, could speak, no doubt it would yell, ouch, that hurts. Please stop. And we all feel that way. But God's doing something. And He's doing something good. So here again, a picture of a runner. And he's just kind of beside himself thinking, I don't even know if I want to keep running. This is hard. What do I do? Keep running your race. Just keep running. You say, how, Greg? Set aside whatever is a problem and keep focusing on Jesus. You say, why do I have to face these trials in the first place? Because God is disciplining you. It's like your coach. You say, why is he disciplining me? For your good. To help you be more like Jesus. Does it require suffering? Absolutely. This, this will change your life. This will change your life. 
You say, okay, so where does this leave me? It leads me to today's text, which is two simple points because now we have the context. And so we'll get two simple points out of verse 12 and verse 13. Counsel for suffering believers. I could call this counsel for weary runners. What does it say? Verse 12. Therefore, in light of all we just talked about, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. You say, how would you summarize that in one of your points? This is it. Number one, get back in the race. Back in the race. See, life's been hard. I'm not saying you took your bib off and went home, but you're sitting down. And you're thinking, God, this hurts, and I don't know if I want to keep going. But now I'm being reminded that you're actually disciplining me for my good, and it's to make me more holy, and it has to hurt. I mean, it hurt Jesus. And so you want me just to keep running, looking to Jesus. Okay, so Lord, what do you want me to do? Verse 12 is the counseling session. Verse 1 through 11 is all the, the foundation we need to understand. Here's the counseling session, verse 12. Get back in the race. Let's look at the words in verse 12. Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. The word weak, it means fallen. It means, here I am, and my hands are just like, oh, my hands, are, I'm exhausted, I'm fatigued. And notice the word feeble. Strengthen the hands that are weak, the knees that are feeble. Feeble, that word is used five times in our New Testament. The other four, every one of them, speaks of being paralyzed. We're not talking about my knee hurts a little bit. We're talking about, Lord, I can't even move my legs anymore. Remember, this is a picture of a spiritual reality. Lord, I feel spiritually paralyzed. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to see my spouse. I don't want to deal with the kids. I have had enough. I'm your child, and this is life. Yeah, it's called discipline, and I love you very much. I'm your loving Heavenly Father. No pain, no gain. I know when I'm putting a drop in that little grandson's eyes, it, it hurts and he doesn't get it, but you got to trust me. you got to get it. It's all for your benefit. So I know your hands are down and you're hurt. So let's get back in the race. Notice what the text says, verse 12. Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. So I want you to think of a race. And here is a woman, and she's been doing some running. And she, do, she doesn't want to keep running anymore. Notice her hands. They're down. Her knees hurt. She doesn't feel like taking another step. But if that's a picture spiritually of a child of God, they need to go back to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And be reminded that no pain, no gain, God is in control of every aspect of your life, and He loves you. And every single struggle is to help you. So you know what? Get back in the race. The word strengthen means to pick up. I want to show you that. It's only used two other times in the New Testament. It means to pick up. Remember, hands down? Pick them up. Luke 13, let me show you the text and we'll get to the keyword. Luke 13, 11, there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. She was bent double. So I think we could all picture someone in just such pain and they're bent over. And she could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. Verse 13 of Luke 13. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made erect again. Same word that is translated strengthen in Hebrews 12.12. 12. She was made erect again, and she went back to glorifying God. 
Here's the runner who's just, wow, I'm going to quit. This hurts. And then you counsel yourself. You read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, and it's like, hey, I forgot. And you're back up. The same word, remember it's used three times? Once in Hebrews, we saw it once in Luke. Here's the only other time it's used, Acts 15. James is preaching. And he says, after these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, quoting there from Amos. Rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins. Here's our word. And I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Now, obviously, I'm not dealing with the theology of that passage, but just that word. The word restore. There used to be a time when the tabernacle or tent of David was up, and it was good. It's been taken down. It's been destroyed. But there's coming a time where I will restore it. So there's a time, believer, where you had your bib. And all those Old Testament runners, man, they were encouraging you. And you're following Jesus. And now your life hurts. And you're discouraged. You're depressed. You're down. You're saying, I don't want to run anymore. But you meditate on chapters 12, verses 1 through 11. And what does this text do? Verse 12, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. ESV, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. So that's how you feel, but meditate on this text. And let's go. And let's get back to following Jesus. Because He does love you, this is actually evidence that you're His Son. And don't fall into that trap of forgetting what Proverbs 3 has said, whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. But fill your mind with biblical truth. Meditate on it. And then by God's grace, set aside whatever holds you back, fix your eyes on Jesus, and start getting in the race again. That's the divine counsel we have here in verse 12. Just one more verse, and that'll be verse 13. It says, I'll read 12 and 13 together, therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Here comes 13. And make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Make straight paths for your feet. So you dropped out of the race for a while. But now you're going to get back in it. Pick your hands up. Lift them up. Get your knees right. Get back in the race. But make sure you, number two, stay in your lane. That's verse 13. Do you see it there? It says in verse 13, make straight paths. In every race, you're assigned a lane. Now, I'm going maybe from a marathon to a sprint or or relay here. But you have to stay in your lane. See, you don't try to get it back together and say, I'm going to start following Jesus any way I want. No. Make straight paths. The Bible gives us a lane. This is God's will. Walk in it. You say, okay, I'm back in the race, but I'm going to do it my way. No, no. I'm back in the race, and I'm going to do it God's way. And many people think that the writer here is actually reflecting on what you've read, not in Proverbs 3 this time, but Proverbs 4. I have verse 26 and 27 up from the ESV. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Think deeply about the path. The path that God has given you to run. Stay in your lane. Now notice the rest of verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet. Why? So the limb which is lame. You say, what do you mean lame? Well, you you stopped running. See, you were injured spiritually, but now you're going back. But your limb still is lame. So watch. 
so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. You don't want to end up with a dislocated knee or leg or ankle or foot. You say, well, help me out with that. Okay. Here's another picture. Girl, she's running. She's in her lane. And as long as she's in her lane, she's going to be fine. But if she goes right or left, she's going to have problems. Spiritually, that's always true. It's not like, okay, Lord, I'm out of bed and I'm getting back to living following Jesus, but it's my way. No, no. It's, Lord, I'm back into your word. Maybe a different picture I thought would help. Here's an older man, and he's running, walking quickly. And he's in an urban environment. If he strays to the right, he's going to bang into that wall and hurt his knee. If he goes to the left, he's going to get hit by a car and hurt his knee. Dude, stay in your lane and follow Jesus. And your leg's going to be okay. And you're not going to get a dislocated knee. And you're not going to be one of those guys. Man, I went to college with all of these people. They said they were Christians. Half of them don't even claim to be Christians anymore. They all quit running their race. And even if they got back into it, they said, I'll run it my way. And you'll mess yourself up. And you'll be on the side with dislocated bones. Get back in the race. Stay in your lane. This is what Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 11 is all about. The council, verse 12 and 13. Get back in the race. Stay in your lane. This is an awesome, incredible passage. Now, some of you are thinking, Greg, you said there's four you really, really like, and this is five and you've just added it to your four. Real quick, what are your four? No surprises at all. I always start with, in my mind, counseling myself, Romans 8, 28 and 9. God causes all things to work together for good, underline it, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. What is good? Becoming like Jesus. So why do you have problems at work? God's using it for good to help you be more like Jesus. Parents, why are you struggling with your children? God's using it for good to help you be more like Jesus. And as parents, we all get it. No, no, Greg, how do I help my kids? Pause. The first thing you do is put it on pause. Don't help your kids first. Ask yourself, why is this happening? It's happening to help you become more like Jesus. That's always good. And God works all things together for good. And after I reflect on that, I love thinking about, well, is there a story any place in the Bible that really puts bones and flesh on that to help me? The story of Joseph. And my favorite text, this is my second example, is Genesis 50-20. Here is Joseph talking to his brothers, and they tried to kill the guy. And now he has an opportunity to get him right back. Genesis 50-20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present result to preserve many people alive. Why did you guys throw me in that pit? You were going to kill me, then you sold me into slavery. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Now, some are going to choke on this, but you've you got to wrestle with this text. It doesn't say, you meant it for evil. But the good thing is, whenever something happens, it's evil. God's like the kind of God, he's really good, and he comes through the back door and he uses it for good. That's not what that text says. God meant it for good. You say, God meant that to happen to Joseph. I'm reading the text. That's what the text says. Both are true. All of the pain and the hurt, even when I am suffering, God is in it for 
my good. Genesis 50, verse 20. You say, that's two. You got two more to go. I love that. When I still remember when this jumped off the page. 1 Peter 1.6 In this, now that's being saved. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, there's the key word, if necessary. Greg, I'm a Christian. Can you please tell me why I'm suffering? Now this, this, question, this answer will not satisfy, but this is the biblical answer. It's necessary. It's necessary. If it were not necessary, you would not be suffering. It is necessary. 1 Peter 1.6, meditate on that. And the whole verse is, is wonderful. The, the first part is about this wonderful salvation we have described in the first five verses. But see, in my brain, this is how I counsel myself. Lord, you're working all things together for good. No, even more, Lord, what people mean for evil, you mean for good. Genesis. So, Lord, it's necessary that I suffer today. So, Lord, help me. Remember, there's four. Last one. Help me to live out James 1, 2, and 3. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Underlined one word, knowing. Lord, I know what your word teaches. So, Lord, would you please help me to count it all joy? Right now, I am hurting. My heart is being ripped out. I am suffering. And I know that you're actually doing something good in my life. What is the good? We're right back to Hebrews chapter 12. You are making me share your holiness. That's Hebrews chapter 12. Powerful text. So what do I do when suffering? The answer is always the same. Keep running your race. Keep following Jesus. You say, Greg, how do I do that? Set aside anything that slows you down, especially the sin of unbelief, and lock in on Jesus. Look away from everything else. Look to Him and think about Him. So why am I suffering while I do that? Because God is disciplining you. You say, why is He disciplining you? For your good. It's what a heavenly loving Father always does. So that you can share His holiness. Which means I have to suffer. That's correct. It's God's plan. You say, and I don't like that. Count me in. I'm with you. You make the motion, I'll second it. I don't like it either. I don't like it when the coach says, take another lap. I don't like it when someone holds my head and puts a drop in my eye and I'm screaming. A lot of things in life I don't like, but people who love me do it for my good. And one of them is my loving Heavenly Father. So this is the message today, guys. Keep running. Keep following Jesus. Don't get off track. And what will it look like? Here's a bigger picture. Check out her ear. She has an earbud in. She's listening to God's Word being preached. You have to do that. You will not think this way by yourself. If you try to do this in your own strength, you're going to be another guy who says, yeah, I used to run. I mean, I got the bib. Where is it now? Oh, I don't know. I quit so long ago, I don't remember. But yeah, I used to like read my Bible. I used to go to church. I, I was a deacon one day. It's been a long time. I don't do that anymore. But see, that's not you. You're listening to God's Word. You're counseling yourself. And that's what every Christian must do. Another Christian, look at her ear. Look in her ear. She's running and it's hard. But she's reviewing God's Word. She's preaching to herself. She's meditating on Scripture. She's looking unto Jesus. And by God's grace, this is what we will continue to do. And when life gets hard, if you ever find me saying, what's going on? Like, 
I don't even know what's going on. One of you men hopefully will love me enough to say, Greg, you've forgotten what Proverbs teaches. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. Man, God loves you. And he's doing something good in your life. It's called discipline. No pain, no gain. Remember, you forgot. And in the midst of my pain, I'll say, I hope, Thank you. Thank you. And you'll say, okay, so lift up the hands. Strengthen the knees. Stay in your lane. I'm going to run right next to you. Let's keep going. And I'm going to say, brother, sister, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for helping me. That's my goal today. If you know Jesus, now if your faith's not in Jesus, this is not for you because, see, you don't have the bib. You've never started the race. And I would just encourage you, would you want to turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ? And maybe this is a good time to mention this. You say, and if I do, I'll just have like an awesome life and everything will go well and I'll be happy. She's not looking real happy. I am not promising you that if you put your faith in Christ, you'll never suffer. In fact, I promise you that you will suffer. Because that's part of the game plan. But you'll suffer with the purpose. And it's God who is working in your life, changing you. This is the key. We need to be meditating on God's Word. How could I encourage you to realize she's listening to the Bible? Ask her. And she'll say, I'm listening to my Bible. A new version, okay? And that's the Bible app a lot of us are listening to. I pray that if you are going through any kind of suffering right now as a Christian, that you'll spend some time today meditating in this text. Shepherd Group Sunday is going to be dealing with questions all about this text. If I can help you at all with this text, as a fellow runner with weak knees, and my hands sometimes just drop down, as a fellow runner, not an expert coach, but just as a fellow runner, if I could encourage you, let me know. And you encourage me, and we're following Jesus together. And that's Hebrews chapter 12. Don't go back. Keep running your race. Let's pray. Father, we've just reviewed a text of Scripture that you've made very clear was written for the purpose of encouragement. And when our lives unravel, that's exactly what we need. And when people hurt us, and disappoint us, and fail us. When our bodies fall apart, when disease gets the upper hand, when money seems to just be gone, and whether it's our kids or our parents or our friends, Lord, just hurt us in such deep ways when the circumstances of life are so difficult, so hard, and we find ourselves just stopping and sitting down and saying enough. Lord, we pray that your blessed Holy Spirit would gently remind us of what we've forgotten. That you are our loving Heavenly Father and you always discipline us for our good that we may share your holiness. Lord, there's no wasted pain for the believer in Jesus Christ. Lord, for every suffering believer listening, I pray confident that this is your will. Encourage them. Help them not to take it lightly. On the other hand, help them not to grow weary and quit. Help them to embrace the process. Lord, help 
all of us to understand that you're a good God and you love us so much. And then, Lord, for the believers here, no doubt there are some who would say they're just having a great life and they're not suffering at all. And please help them to get ready for the suffering to come so that when their race goes from easy to hard, they won't stop. But through the power of your Spirit, they'll continue to look to Jesus and run their race well. Help us all. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.